society throws up a lot of hurdles to people really trying to do it the right way. We in the rest of society should sort of knock down those hurdles, but also give space so that people can thrive. Tom Vozo assumed the role of CEO at Homeboy in 2012. Established in 1988, Homeboy is a nonprofit organization dedicated to gang rehabilitation and re-entry programs operating out of Los Angeles, California. At its essence, Homeboy's core values revolve around demonstrating compassion and placing unwavering faith in individuals from diverse backgrounds. It's this belief in the inherent potential of people to achieve remarkable things when provided with the right opportunities that drew Tom to the organization. It was a $10 million organization when I started. We're about $40 million organization now. In this episode, we're going to hear Tom's story, exploring how the fusion of his corporate experience with a deep commitment to investing in people has shaped the growth and impact of Homeboy. He'll tell us about overcoming the scarcity mindset, the culture he intentionally builds, his different expectations for employees, and he'll leave us with a message to all leaders from both the corporate and nonprofit worlds. I'm Ted Vaughn, and this is Future Nonprofit. If you want to hear more stories from experts in the industry to learn how to take your nonprofit into the future, subscribe to the podcast and visit makehistoric.com. As always, we'll start by learning about our guest, Tom. Growing up, Tom was privileged with stability and an optimistic view of his potential future. I think I'm like such a typical kid growing up in America, middle-class kid. If I was going to work hard, working hard and through my own merit, I was going to do well. So if you're smarter than the next guy or, or, and, and do well in your exams and you kind of work hard and put in the hours, good things will happen to you. So I was a real believer in the American dream growing up as a kid. Even early on, Tom started to realize that having a positive perspective on life was in itself a privilege. We grew up, again, in New Jersey, typical small town. We had a sort of a wealthy section of town. I had some friends there. We had a poor section of town. I had some friends there. Though at an early age, I saw there was a kind of a gulf in the difference between how, what their lives were like and how well they were doing. Part of me always recognized that I could easily have been in the very poor side and demonized side. And I've had cousins who grew up in the cities and had troubles. But that sort of made me recognize that. Now I've put it in today's words that all people have goodness in them and should be given a chance. Back when I was a youth, when I was a young man, I couldn't put it in those words, but I think I had that sense. Tom's good fortune and hard work led him into the world of business leadership. He spent 26 years at Aramark, a Fortune 500 food service facilities and uniform services provider. His last seven years there as executive vice president. But it was a tragic life event that would give Tom the long-range perspective he needed for his life. My dad worked for the same company for 46 years. He passed away when he was 59 of cancer. And I had that sort of realization as in that last year of his life when he had to self-retire because of his cancer. That, oh my gosh, after 49 years, that career is over. So it kind of stuck in me that you can't be defined by your business you're with. It's not like he had any regrets, not like he was any frustration that he, but it's like all of a sudden from working in the same place for all those years to not working at that place. And now life's a little different. It really made me realize that, again, let's not be defined by the company we're with. Work really hard, do really well, help the employees, help the team members, but don't be defined by that type of career. 
While that experience helped Tom reevaluate his view of success and impact, it was a very specific moment when he realized he needed to take action. My seminal moment was the Great Recession 2008. I was running my set of businesses, about $1.7 billion of revenue. We were expected to about $150 million of profit. So I still remember two days before Christmas in 2008, the chairman of the corporation calls me up and after wishing me happy <laughs> Merry Christmas, he, we get into talking about how we're going to do, how we're going to finish a year. And I said, well, we're going to be 140 million versus 150 million. I think that's pretty good. Well, I was, all, I was almost berated that that's not good enough. We need to get back to the 150. And in my head, I, I'm a smart enough business guy. I know what that would take to get back to that last $10 million. The number of other employees we need to lay off, the number of employees have been with us for over 20 years, who, who trusted us as a corporation that we're gonna be their long-term employer. They work hard. Our commitment to them is that we take care of them, give them good wages, and they can have a career. And I also know that that 10 million doesn't make a hill of beans difference in the overall valuation. That when the recession's over, we're gonna need all those people back. And so that was like my moment thinking, wow, as much as I love business, the rules of the game were really set up not in the best way. And that put a seed in my mind. Is there another way to run businesses that employees are at the same level of priority as shareholders and can everybody thrive? And it was around that time that an opportunity to get involved with Homeboy found its way to him. A friend of mine who's on the board of Salvation Army with me, he asked me to come down to Homegirl Cafe and have lunch. And so I remember sitting at Homegirl Cafe with him, and he's talking about trying to get me involved at the board level. But I'm sitting in the cafe and looking around, recognizing that, wow, I would have never hired any one of those folks. They have tattoos on their face. They're gang members. They have felonies. And yet, they're smiling. They're interacting with the customers. Like, as a business guy, I'm thinking, like, well, that's a pretty good workforce. And so I realized I don't know that much. And so I recognized early on two things. One is, like, I don't know anything what's going on here. I mean, I can help read the P&L. I can help kind of think about what's happening with the businesses. But I don't know anything about helping men and women get out of gang life. And our founder, Father Greg Boyle, was still there. And I'm thinking, oh, that guy, he's a living saint. I want to be in his orbit for a while. So because Homeboy is so different, it's easy to kind of come in and say, I don't know enough here. But I did think I had all the hubris of a CEO. I thought, okay, I'll come in and volunteer for, for six months, help them get going, benefit financial situation, and you know, be off and do something else. And here I am 10 years later, uh, just loving what I do. But even as he transitioned into the nonprofit sector, Tom remained steadfast in upholding many of the same values he had embraced in his for-profit life. I often make this comment uh, that I'm still a committed capitalist because I feel like well-run companies are good for our society. Now, sometimes in the audience as I talk at Homeboy, that, that capitalist word doesn't work these days as well. But again, what's the definition of well-run company? It's got a product and service someone wants to pay you for. It competes effectively in the marketplace for shareholders. And importantly, it's a great place to work for its employees. And so if you keep those three things in balance, particularly the employee side, you're working at a great company. Now, Homeboy was founded by a man named Father Gregory Boyle. As you can tell by the title of Father, his background was not in business, but in theology, religion, and philosophy. Tom's expertise in the business world was a great asset to Homeboy, but Father Greg's life perspective also complemented Tom. 
obviously Greg's our spiritual leader, emotional leader, visionary. You know, I mean, there's so many things. Like I, those early years, I would sit in meetings with them and would hear about certain people's challenges. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I should do X, Y, and Z. And he comes out with, no, do A, B, and C. <laughs> it's like, and my head would turn. <laughs> and there's so much to learn by his approach. He's so authentic about giving unconditional love, no matter whatness. Now those words become cliches, but he actually lived that. And not all the rest of us try to sort of attain to that. He lives those values. And that is what makes Homeboy special. And so I, from moment one, I saw my role is to make Father Greg Boyle more successful in terms of what does he do well? He ministers to the homies, he raises money for us. So I'll cover everything else. <laughs> I'll help grow the organization. I'll go, I'll find government money. I'll find business money. I'll find donors. My thought was how to make, how to free up his time and how do I run the organization for the next 35 years. Through this symbiosis, Homeboy entered into a new chapter of life, a chapter in which Tom brought three main focuses to the organization. Look, in the business world, as you grow up through management, you focus on growing and growing profitably and understand how to move resources around and put people in the right seat so that the company is successful and efficient and productive, right? So that sense of how do you pull the levers of a P&L statement in terms of tangibly putting people in the right seats and hiring the right folks, number one. Number two, hiring people is recognizing the value of different types of personalities, different types of diversity in hiring people is very important. Three is knowing what resources can bring. If you can find resources to sort of help grow, like in the outside world, resources are in the for-profit world, resources are more capital. You go to the capital markets and get money and then you go invest. That plus the long-term investment in people is a mindset that I think nonprofits need to take more on. And so for me, it was about finding more resources. Homeboy Industries is a, essentially a privately run organization. Of our $40 million, $25 million is fundraised, $10 million is social enterprise revenue, and less than $5 million is government revenue federal, state, city, county. We're going to go in-depth on a couple of those points, but let's start with that resource-finding strategy. One significant advantage Tom brought from the for-profit sector was his fresh perspective on funding. He had the ability to see beyond the common scarcity mindset that often holds us back as leaders in the nonprofit world. My biggest contribution at Homeboy has been that willingness to tell people, nope, nope, we're going to do it. But I know we haven't had money in the past, a little bit of money we have now, this is where we're going to put it and we're going to sort of put our bet on this and put our investment on it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We have to try these things to, to move it forward. Because it, in a human services organization, like a homeboy, it's doubly hard because you don't have enough money to begin with as a nonprofit. The population you're serving has a scarcity of a huge scarcity of resources. And so uh, let me kind of come about this. What I'm really proud of is that two thirds of our management team our former clients. So they've kind of grown up from within. So we've worked really hard to get uh, people with lived experience up through all ranks of our management team. But even though they're very high up in the management team, the one thing I still see in them is this fear of res future resources. Let's not take that chance because we don't want to spend that money because what they don't want to see is homeboy go under. Overcoming a scarcity mindset can be difficult because the resources are just never abundant enough for the mission. And as nonprofits, we don't have the benefit of operating with revenue as the focus. It's our cause that takes precedence, and that cause, most likely, does not automatically generate money. 
In my experience at Historic, serving multiple nonprofits and working with their senior leadership, most nonprofit leaders need to reevaluate and rethink their relationship and perspective on money. If I don't find the money, the resources, that means we're not serving people. They're back on the streets doing crime, violent crime, and back in the jail system. So the cost of failure is very high, and that makes that part of the job. However, taking calculated risks and investing in your organization is critical to success. Without doing so, there's stagnation, which will block growth and often do a disservice to the mission. Part of overcoming the scarcity mindset is being confident and proactive about gaining resources. As Thomas said, one of his biggest priorities is just that. Obviously, that's easier said than done, so here are a few tips to get you started. Number one. Reframe your perspective. Instead of dwelling on what you lack, focus on your organization's strengths and what you've achieved. Celebrate your successes no matter how small they may seem. Number two, focus on impact. Concentrate on the positive change your nonprofit is making in the community. Measuring and sharing the impact of your work can boost morale and attract more support. Impact inspires confidence in donors, and that confidence is critical to resource. Number three, embrace innovation and risk-taking. Be open to trying new approaches and taking calculated risks. Innovation can lead to growth and attract new opportunities. In previous episodes, we've talked with incredibly innovative leaders like Lance Blair from Liquid Death in episode number four and Dr. Latte Lawson Letergo from Oxfam in episode number five. After today's show, go back and check those out if you haven't already. And those three dovetail nicely into one of Tom's other key priorities, investing in his people. I hired uh, one of the, our HR professionals at my corporate job to come in and help me. So again, it's bringing in HR professionals with outside experience about developing people, about developing frontline managers, right? And it's constantly being a men- having a mentorship with them, saying, nope, you got to get this going. But it's we have very few rules. It's not going to be like, if you don't get three things done, you're fired. But if we see you progressing, that you're trying, you're making an effort, we're going to see it. We're going to, we're going to allow that to go forward. This willingness to invest in people has been crucial to Homeboy's success. And this is where I think all people can do this and listen to Father Greg's words. If we were willing to sort of humble ourselves, move ourselves to be with people who are on the margins of our society and be in kinship with them and a relationship with them, not wag our finger, not tell them what they got to do, but just be in relationship with them. It is magical, the joy you feel and experience, and that overcomes all the stress that's out there. And what better organization to prove the power of investing in and having faith in people than one that's mission is to give people more chances in life? When we're promoting people from within, you know, in the for-profit world, when someone's vying for a promotion, generally you, you say, okay, you're going to get a promotion in six months, just do these duties, you do these well, you get a promotion, and we'll raise your pay, right? So you got to prove that you can do the job. At home, boy, it doesn't work. Our folks have been disappointed their whole life and have false promises given to them. They will not move a muscle with a, few, with a promise of a future benefit. <laughs> so you have to sort of make that decision. You lean in, you give them that promotion before you would in the outside world. You give them the raise pay, but you clearly set the expectation that here's what we're going to hold you accountable to. 
they feel good about themselves. They thrive in that positive investment and they step up to get better. They act, they really do. And so it's the, that's why I want to encourage people is give it a shot. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. While investing in and having faith in people is essential, if you want your team to support you, you must establish a strong organizational culture as the bedrock of your nonprofit. Your culture is essentially the way people get stuff done in your organization. And that culture is the organizational soil that everything you do is planted in. Whatever your nonprofit grows and does is rooted in that soil. So investing in and tending to your culture is essential. We explored this concept during our episode featuring Linda Rutherford from Southwest Airlines. She recounted the 2023 winter storm crisis and how the enduring culture they had cultivated over decades enabled their dedicated employees to stand by the company and guide it through the unprecedented challenge. Still, you saw those moments of person-to-person care and outreach that really do illuminate, you know, what it means to be a Southwest Airlines warrior. And that is that we're in this together, we're going to take care of each other, and we're going to figure out how to get out of this. If you want to go deeper on that subject, I really recommend checking that episode out. For Homeboy, their culture is built around having empathy for those they serve. Our folks are victims of complex trauma. Second, third generation gang members jumped in a gang at a young age. Their uncle was in a gang. Their mother was in a gang. They don't go to high school. Their mother tells them to stand on the corner, be the lookout for the next drug deal. And then they join a gang thinking that's their family. It's a false hope. They realize they do something wrong. They have to go to prison. They realize the gang's not there to support them. Deep down, they don't want to be gang members. Deep down, they want someone to love them and they want someone to care for them. It just... It's hard to do unless you get someone out of that neighborhood gang environment. At Homeboy, it's overflowing with positive relationships and kinship and compassion. And for the first time, if you sort of touch into somebody's goodness, they hold on to that and they can move their life forward. However, teamwork and camaraderie depend on the individuals participating. And this begins with them feeling like complete and whole people. There are over 200 different gangs in the county of Los Angeles. Los Angeles County still has the largest gang population in the country, there by the world. There's over 130,000 gang members in LA County. So we work with gang members, not gangs. And we make sure our folks at rival gangs are in there together, working together. There's nothing better. You think about our, our homeboy bakery. We make artisan bread, hand rolled. So it's nothing better being on the, the bread table, two guys rolling dough, shoulder to shoulder, and they're gang rivals. And it's once you break down that they're gangs and, and they work, treat themselves as individuals and humans and form that relationship, that breaks down all those barriers. And so we just try to amplify that message with, between senior staff and junior staff and, and all throughout. Yet, at Homeboy, there exists a delicate equilibrium between compassion for our fellow humans and Tom's belief in the capitalist economy. For nonprofits, there are two seemingly distinct but intricately interconnected goals and missions. On one hand, the cause serves as the raison d'etre, the French phrase for the very heart or purpose of it all. Naturally, driving impact and effecting change are perpetual priorities. 
Conversely, on the other hand, the organization's success hinges on business-oriented metrics such as finances, efficiency, and a well-structured operation. The key to success is found in striking a harmonious balance between these two facets. A significant part of Tom's ability to bring this equilibrium to the organization rests on his understanding that these sets of goals often need to be housed and represented differently among his staff. Oftentimes I get in trouble with my team because, let me see if I put it in these words, I sort of have two different levels of standards. Like if you're an inside person, you've, you've kind of, you were a trainee, you're a frontline manager, navigator, case manager, manager, VP. You have super instincts around how to help mentor gang members out of, get out of gang life. Good instincts around team building, good instincts around leading. Uh, you may not be so good about writing that email or filling out the budget. And so we're going to work on that. We're not going to sort of say that you don't need to do that. But if you're an outside person coming into Homeboy, you better be able to know how to do a budget in an email. And I'm not going to allow that to slip. We all got to come into Homeboy with a certain level of experiences to help move the organization forward. This value of investing in people and recognizing their potential is at the core of Tom's entire approach. He firmly holds the belief that even a small amount of compassion can have a profound impact on people's lives. And he's unreserved in extending that compassion to individuals from all walks of life. Unfortunately, this value isn't as widespread as we might hope. While the nonprofit sector prides itself on its capacity for empathy and aiding others, it's not always universally embraced. If I look at the arc of Homeboy over the first 35 years, you know, the first 10 years when Father Greg's helping those uh, young men get out of gangs, he was hated and demonized. People thought he was harboring criminals and that type of thing. It's shifted and people in the city support us. Thankfully, we have generous donors to do the work we're doing. And people see the effort of lean in, give the working poor resources and care for them. And they're going to change their life going forward. The reality is that there will be occasions when you find yourself ahead of the curve. When you're pioneering in social values or perspectives, it's a considerably more challenging endeavor than being an early adopter of a new organizational trend or technology, for example. This is where we can draw inspiration from Father Greg. Even when we feel isolated or place ourselves in situations where our beliefs are questioned or marginalized, as long as compassion for fellow humans remains at the core of our actions and we witness the positive impact we're having on others, it's worth persevering through the tough times. Sometimes the world simply just needs to catch up. Tom is currently witnessing this catch-up period unfold at an accelerated pace. The population homeboys always served has been, again, victims of complex trauma. There's a lot of mental illness within that trauma. There's a lot of domestic violence. There's a lot of homelessness. There's a lot of drug addiction. Well, I think what's interesting, when the pandemic came along, all of a sudden, a lot of society started realizing, wow, there's mental health problems out there. There's homelessness out there. There's food insecurity out there. Now, we weren't saying, yeah, we knew that all along, but we were saying, well, we've been practitioners of helping people with those issues all along. In a lot of uh, big cities around the country, there's this concept of alternatives to incarceration. You know, shut down the jails or don't, not every crime goes to jail, right? We've been practitioners of helping people heal from trauma, full recognition of, the, of what they've done you know, restorative justice type programs. We've been doing restorative justice programs for a number of years. Though since the pandemic, the amount of domestic violence has shot up. Gang violence has back to shooting up. It's heartbreaking uh, how much is out there. 
While it can be understandably frustrating when people are slow to catch up, Tom exemplifies the core value of empathy that underpins Homeboy's mission. He recalls a time when he too held similar views. One of the things I learned on early on is, you know, I knew nothing about gangs and gang life and all that. And I was a typical American, right? Thought longer prison sentences were the, were the ticket. And I remember her, Greg said early on, it doesn't matter longer prison sentences because none of these men and women think they're going to live past 30 years old anyway. So there's a hopelessness. They join a gang because of a sense of hopelessness. They do violent crime because of a sense of hopelessness. Through their unwavering determination to overcome societal stereotypes and their steadfast belief in people, Homeboy has been profoundly changing the lives of individuals in Los Angeles since 1988. They've also established a blueprint for international organizations to do the same through the Global Homeboy Network. Tom wants to see the success they've achieved in transforming lives serve as an inspiration to others. I asked Tom to share one story as an example, and though he had a hard time picking just one, he eventually shared this. Like they explained earlier on, all our folks work around us. We try to put our people into as many jobs that we have as possible. So for a number of years, I've had an administrative assistant who would be a homegirl. One was a guy, but this story is a homegirl. And uh, she came to Homeboy uh, when she was 16. She was in gang and youth camp in LA County. That means youth prison. <laughs> really couldn't leave the gang. And went back into prison, came back to Homeboy, became pregnant, had a baby when she was 18. And then she became more permanently in our program, became my assistant. The amount of trauma in her life is just searing. Forgotten by her family, she just has this fierce determination, hated her life, right? But through Homeboy, through the relationships of others, she became more resilient and she was a fearless protector of her daughter. She lived in shelters, but she got the work on time. Life wasn't always easy for her. She had a desire to be better. She just needed a chance. One night before one of the board meetings, she gets a call from her parole officer. Parole officer says she needed to report at 8 a.m. the next morning. And she said, well, I, I got this responsibility, I got this job, I gotta be there for the meeting. And the parole officer said, if you don't show up at 8 a.m., I'm gonna violate you and you're back in prison. Now, it's like, of course we're homeboy, we're gonna say, close to your appointment. But how many other companies would, would she, people would feel shame by saying why they can't come to work. They would call an absent along the way, right? Society throws up a lot of hurdles to people really trying to do it the right way. We and the rest of society should sort of knock down those hurdles, but also give space so that people can, keep, people can thrive. So she eventually went to community college, got her AA degree, just graduated uh, this year from UCLA, and she's applying to law school. Pretty remarkable. And I'm guaranteeing you, when you saw her when she was 17 years old in front of 100 people, people would say, not going to make it. I've had people come up to me and say, donors come in and tell me. You know, she has tattoos on her face. Tom, do you really allow her to have tattoos on her face while she's here? It's like, come on. <laughs> people need a chance. People have goodness in them. People can actually move forward in our society. You gotta just give them a lot of chances, a lot of support services around. Now, with over a decade of experience in the nonprofit world, Tom has some advice for CEOs in the corporate world. It's our responsibility as corporate CEOs to help society, which I know every CEO knows that. But here's how you do it. The poverty rate in America has been the same for 45 years. Hasn't improved. Narrow 12, 13% band. 
the corporate world can lift people out of poverty, provide them quality jobs. So my challenge with the corporate world is the next 10 to 15% of all your hires, dedicate that to, to the working poor. And what you'll see is if you bring support services around, you'll see they're good workers and they'll lift people out of poverty. And that's like so important. So for all our nonprofit leaders who work in human services, we're just helping people get resilient enough to go out into society. Well, they got to go, our people need to go somewhere. And I'm trying to get the corporate world to say, we'll carry them, we'll take them on. And a good job, quality job makes that different. And here's his message to all leaders. Be the leader in your organization that helps people find joy in what they do. Workplaces thrive. You can have a thriving workplace if you find joy. Desmond Tutu talks about the greatest joy is when we do good for others, right? And there's all those challenges that are running a nonprofit. But when you have one or two moments a day where you're feeling that joy of being in kinship with somebody else, that makes a huge difference. And if you don't open yourself up to find those one or two moments, you're just going to be all day long being stressed about the work you're doing. And so particularly in a nonprofit world, you don't have enough resources, there's more people need your help than possible. But be that leader that makes people pause, soak it in, soak in that kinship that you find through others. Then you'll find people will thrive through their work. Homeboy is an incredibly inspiring organization and there's a lot we can learn from Tom. So let's recap. First and foremost, invest in and have faith in people. Foster a culture where individuals experience genuine support, where compassion is demonstrated, and where the time is taken to understand people's life circumstances. Extend empathy towards them and make a sincere effort to assist. Most people want to succeed in life, and many just need a helping hand before they can find their breakthrough and really flourish. As nonprofit leaders, avoid the temptation to be so head down and driven by the mission that you neglect the health and care of the people and team on the journey with you. Second, you need to overcome the scarcity mindset. That doesn't mean simply spending more money. It's about understanding the significance of investment while simultaneously creating opportunities to attract more resources. Homeboy has achieved this with remarkable success, largely owing to Tom's business background. Prioritizing the recruitment of individuals with similar expertise could prove advantageous for your organization. This leads to our third takeaway. Nonprofits have two primary goals. One is the cause itself, and the other is the ability to build structure that supports and sustains the cause. Tom recognizes the value in different employees and their differing abilities to meet these goals. Does your nonprofit work to maintain this balance? And finally, Keep your passion for the mission white hot and in laser focus. As long as your actions are positively impacting people without causing harm to others, don't hesitate to drive and push and advocate for societal change. Homeboy would not have made the progress it has without Father Greg and Tom showing extreme empathy for people and the focused passion to give those struggling new opportunities to flourish and grow. I'm Ted Vaughn, and this is Future Nonprofit. If you want to hear more stories from experts in the industry to learn how to take your nonprofit into the future, subscribe to the podcast and visit makehistoric.com. Future 
Future Nonprofit is a production of Lower Street and Historic Agency. Produced by Jackie Lamport, Mark Miller, Ben Crannell, James Bladel, and Ted Vaughn. Edited by Ben Crannell. Visit futurenonprofit.com for a transcript of this episode.